You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. I get to this because last time I had seven points and I got through two. So, yep, that anointing sits in the house. <laughs> We're in our new sermon series called Let Us Pray. I want you to know that prayers of the righteous availeth much. And part of God's plan is that his church would usher in his kingdom. It says that our prayers should be his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as in heaven. It is actually our job to pray that, heaven, that earth begins to look like heaven and to see it manifested. That is actually part of our mandate. And we do that through the releasing of the prophetic. Before I start, I wanna give you all homework. If you have your notepad because you take notes and you love Jesus and you wanna go to heaven, uh, just kidding. But notes are good, okay? Uh, I want you to write down, listen to signs of life. It was Pastor Jurgen's preach from last Sunday. It is, it, is, it is what our church is called to in this season. Okay, we are a prophetic voice to the nation, to our cities, to our families, to our friends. So Signs of Life by Pastor Jurgen Matesius. You can find it on our Awaken app. Don't miss that message. That's a game changer. I was floored and it is, it is a game changer. So that's your homework. And that helps you understand the Let Us Pray series. <clears throat> so I was thinking through about our campus and where we're at. My wife did an amazing job last week. She rattled the cages, okay? A few people are like, oh, that hurt so good. I'll drink to that. And, uh, and I'm just like, God, what, what's next? And, and, and as we are getting ready to see moves of God happen, we have already seen it, but this is not, uh, this is normal and going to increase. The, the people getting healed from cancer is normal and is going to increase, okay? <clears throat> people that couldn't have children being able to have children in this house, that is normal here and will increase. People getting uh, broken foots healed, that is normal and it will increase. Because Jesus didn't say the buck stops in Acts. He never said that. He said, you go build a church, go make disciples, and you'll do greater things than even I did, okay? So we're not gonna see an end to that. But as we get ready to see this massive move of God continue to unfold above our eyes, I just, I've, I felt arrested to say, let's make sure our foundation is right. Our foundation is right. You want, a, you want a pipeline, a perfect building? You want to build a structure that can withstand the storms and the weather and the turmoil that'll come in the opposition? Because mark my words, we are in a battle. Church, it is a battle. We, we're going to win. We have superior firepower, okay? Jesus is coming back for a victorious bride, but it's still a battle. And if your foundation is off, Chad, can you affirm me? If foundation off, Billy's not going to go good, right? Contractor over there, he knows what I'm talking about. And our foundation started with Jesus. If we don't have a clear picture of Jesus, it is so hard, virtually impossible. In fact, I will say it is impossible to reach the full capacity of what God had planned for you because Jesus is who we look to. Jesus is who had established that. He's the foundation. Now listen, he's not the finish line in a sense that the cross was the pivotal starting point in our life. It is and will always be the greatest moment in history, but we moved into resurrection life. And so it is the starting point of a new life, of a new thing. And if you don't understand the starting point thoroughly or you have a mixed view of it, it'll taint, it'll, you'll walk with a limp. 
You'll miss the full. And so you might say, well, I've heard this before, but let it sink in. Let it sink in and ask yourself, is there any area where I'm not fully grasping this? So the title of my message is, I was Barabbas. As we enter into this story in the Bible found in Matthew 27, just to give context, Jesus is being tried by Pontius Pilate. He's being tried because the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, were pretty jealous of the movement and the power and the things that were happening, so they wanted him gone. So so this is a trial. It's a setup. All Jesus has done to this point is heal people, set people free, restore blind eyes, heal deaf people. That's all he's done is help people. And, And yet he's now facing trial for a death penalty. And so that's where we meet in this story and then enters this guy named Barabbas. Now, I gotta give credit to my man, John Day, and I love the way his brain thinks. He will fixate on a word and he will dig so deep and come up with so much gold. So he brought up to me what the word Barabbas means, how it's translated. I'm just gonna throw this in because it's gonna help put it. You can dig deep into the meanings, but the first meaning literally translates into son of Abba or son of God. So wait a minute, we have Jesus on trial, the true son of God, and then a guy whose name means the same thing in a different, in Babylonian, not in Hebrew. But you go deeper into the meaning of the name, and it can also mean, no, let me pull this up, to render just or innocent to make free. It can also, I'm going to translate all the bomb because I like this one. Same meaning as to show, to show. So that, his name can be translated son of God, to render innocent, or to show, okay? So let me set this context up. Now we're going to read about what happens with Barabbas. Matthew 27, 15, 26. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished, And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. This is a whole sham right here. This this judge knew this guy was innocent. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, now it's getting real, he should listen. <laughs> His wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? He's thinking this is a no-brainer. He's gonna get out of it. He won't have to make a tough decision. They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But he cried out, but they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the, that the tumult was raising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see it. 
And all the people are, you do it. And, and all the people answered, said, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. See, at, at, from the outskirt, this thing looks like a sham. This thing looks like this shouldn't happen. There's Jesus the perfect son of God who's done nothing but heal and love and set free people and encourage people. And then there's Barabbas. He's a murderer. He's an insurrectionist. He's a troublemaker. It's, it's audacious. It's not fair. It's unjust. And we, and we sit here and, and I, I always get blown away, side note, I always get blown away when the evilness of racism rises up and people actually say like, well, the Jews killed, what are you talking about? You do not know the gospel one bit. And let me, let me back that up. Here's why. Because this audacious scam was all part of Jesus' plan. At any moment, at any moment, He's the son of God. He could have called down angel armies and like more epic than Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark. Boom, it's over, right? I mean, it's over. They gone, they melted, right? He could have easily, he had the power and the authority to get out. He, he, this was unjust. No one would have blamed him, but there was a purpose there. And the purpose was Barabbas. The purpose was to make just and right. The purpose was to show, because here's who Barabbas represents. This is the prophetic picture, and this is what everything is built on. At this moment, there was a transaction to be made, and Barabbas is me and you. Barabbas is us in our sinful nature. We were born into a sinful nature. We rage against God in our own strength. We are selfish. We do not obey. We do not listen. We miss the mark. We use and abuse people. We cause dysfunction. We gravitate towards evil evil and flesh. This is who we are born. We were born into sin. But at this moment, Jesus says, here's the transaction. Everything you deserve, Matt Tuggle, I will take. I will take. The whip that comes next, the thorn and the spitting and the punching and the pulling out of my beard, and then eventually the cross. This is nothing about me. This is everything to do with you. And that is the foundational move of Christianity, is that Jesus made a way. The Israelite people were set apart by God to create a landing pad for the savior of the world because God is just. God is just. He is merciful and just. When people say, oh, I can't believe in God because look at all the bad things that happen. God is just. He put justice in us. We understand that. We just don't want to be on the receiving end of justice. We're, we blame we blame other people. Well, look what they're doing with their freedom. But then when God tries to step in and say, hey, don't do that with your freedom. Oh, wow, hey. God is just, but he also gives us free. We cannot have love without freedom and we have a free world. And it is the depravity of man that leads to the horrific things we see. And Jesus was the answer, is the answer, and will be the answer. So Jesus steps in and says, not Matt Tuggle. Not Corey Ross. How close am I? No more. You're like, is he going to say me? <laughs> he steps in, but here's the deal. So from that foundational point, we also need to recognize that in that transaction, yes, he made a move, but he also pivoted something towards us. He said, the grace I should have got on this earth, the power that I carry, the anointing, the freedom, 
the sonship, the daughtership, becoming a child of God. He pivoted that and he hit us with it. And if you have any other way you think you're gonna get salvation, you've missed the mark. We don't work for salvation, we work from salvation. We don't work for love, we work from love. And if that rattles anything in you, here's my challenge to you. You don't have to take my word for it. Read Romans. Read the book of Romans. Paul does such a good job articulating this argument that in Romans 6, he has to pause and say, now I know what you're all thinking. You should just go on doing all the sin you want because God is so graceful and there's so much grace that nothing you could do could separate you from his love. And that is true, but not the sin part. Okay, we'll get into that. He, he breaks that down a little bit. But he did such an articulated job saying, if you think for a second, you can earn your salvation. You can earn your love from the Father God. You can earn your acceptance in the family. You've missed the whole point. Jesus is the covering. And then under that covering, we begin to have what's called born again experience. We actually, our nature begins to change from a place of restoration, not for a place of restoration. So Jesus takes all that beating, takes the cross. And then he said seven things on the cross. And my message is the prophetic things that those seven things meant. Because I want you to understand that when Jesus was on that cross, Historians will tell you that if not the worst, one of the worst ways ever invented by humankind to die was the cross. The cross was meant to be a deterrent, to say, don't break the law because this sucks. Okay, so here's the deal. You were hung by nails in your wrists and in your feet. But you have to understand by hanging like this, stretching you out as far as you can go, that causes your weight pulls you down, but that means you can't get a breath. So the only way you can breathe is to pull your body up through the nails to breathe and then collapse back down. Mind you, Jesus had a tore up back that looked like hamburger meat at this time. I'm sorry it's graphic, but it's true. So every word Jesus took time to say on the cross required excruciating pain and an exhale of precious breath. There, every word that came out in this moment was torturous. You wouldn't waste your words on this cross. You know, it's not like the Sunday school picture where he's like, John, take care of my mom, you know? <laughs> kind of takes one hand out and he's like, whew, it's hot up here. No, it was excruciating to say. And there's a propheticness to what Jesus, who Jesus is on that cross. And so I wanna get to it. And I'm gonna, Jesus help me. I'm going to get through all seven. So if it seems like, man, he's going so fast, that's why. Okay. First thing Jesus said, Luke 23, 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Point number one, Jesus is the only one that can forgive you. Jesus is the only one that can forgive you. Coming to that realization changed everything for me. See, I got saved and set on fire when I was 13. I recognized the depravity of my life. I recognized that pretty much my goals, I got saved at a summer camp. The reason I was at the summer camp was because cute girls were there, okay? That invited me. One of them was my wife. So it did work out in the long run. But, <laughs> but I had one agenda on my mind. I grew up in church, but I had one agenda for high school. I was looking forward to high school because I was uh, in like a charter school before then. So I got like two days, but I'm super social. So I was like five days, friends, it's gonna be epic. And I, and I love sports. And so I was about three things going into high school. It was going to be parties, football, and girls. And it didn't matter what order. All three were great. Okay, I was in for all of them. <laughs> Whatever. Those were the goals. So girls got me to a summer camp. And I was confronted with the harsh reality 
of my depravity and, and the reality of God's goodness and his love. And I saw the contrast and, it, and I grew up in church, but at that moment, it all made sense. And I remember as Revelations three, it says that you're, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. God's not into that. He's like, pick, pick. Either be all for me or not, but not divided. Because I was cool going to church on Sunday. I was, why not? There's girls there too, right? <laughs> See the brain there. <laughs> and at that moment, I said, okay, Jesus. And I, I, all I can explain is it wasn't that I said, fine, I'm gonna be a good Christian. No, my heart got transformed. I wanted more Jesus. That's all I can explain. And, and, and I was just on fire, you know? And God, I, let me tell you something. I never regret that decision. My life was so good and is so good. Thank you, Jesus. I look at my friends that didn't go that way and I'm like, oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for revealing the truth to me. I had a great time in high school. I still played sports. I threw parties for Jesus and I had great friends and I married a hottie. So God gave me everything I wanted. I just did it without the, the residue of regret and shame and guilt and sin. And so I get to that point, but let me talk to you about where, what does that do forgiveness? Obviously, the salvation was the first, but I became pretty well known at our school. I had a group, a clique called the God Squad, okay? And, and we, were, we weren't weird. We weren't weird. Like, you know, one of the girls was like the prom queen there. I was like captain of the football team. Like, like we, we were just on fire for Jesus and cool and normal and had the whole, you know what I mean? So you can have it all, all right? And so we get there and then my senior year comes the girlfriend, and I remember at this point, I was an intern. I was serving at our junior high ministry. I was preaching sometimes to our junior hires. And I slept with my girlfriend. And I remember just the, the feeling of God could never forgive me. He used me. He's loved me. He, I had the, I, I, he gave me such a great life. And I disobeyed him. And, and, and I've taught people about purity and look at me now. And I went through this and I was hiding, you know, I didn't want to share it because I, I told myself, I don't want to let people down, but really I just felt like I could be, never be forgiven. And I remember I was hanging out with a buddy of mine who's also a pastor now. We both got radically transformed at camp. And I had this dream in the, we were on like this cool vacation and I had this dream and in this dream, I was swinging around a sword like a crazy man. There was, I, was, I didn't know who was the enemy, who was good, who was bad. I was just going like psycho. And I had like all this cool armor. But I looked cool, but I looked like a psychopath. And I didn't know what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, this character that I can only describe in the dream, I knew it was Jesus, like came behind me. And I swing the sword and he catches the sword in his hand. And I see blood drip down. And he says, son, I've forgiven you. Stop. And I woke up and, I, and I, I woke up, I told my buddy, I said, dude, I gotta talk to you. And I, and I finally let that out. I finally said, dude, this happened. You know, I'd broken the relationship up and all this, but I'd never just confessed it. Now I'd confessed it to Jesus, but I needed healing. And the Bible says that healing comes from confession of one another. Doesn't mean I had to go shout it from the rooftops, put it on my Facebook and Instagram. That's not what he's looking for, but he's looking for you to be vulnerable with the right people, with Christian leaders who can speak the truth to the lie. And so I got, all I can say, it was like I got reinstated on that trip. I went home, I told my youth pastor, you know, and, and I, I'm like, why didn't I do this six months ago? <laughs> met with grace and love. And, and let me just tell you, to read on that story, after that relationship, 
I met my beautiful wife. We dated for five years, did not sleep together. So God can restore and heal, and heal. And by the way, I don't recommend that. That was really hard, don't do that, okay? <laughs> Father, forgive them. Jesus is all about forgiveness. Jesus is all about forgiveness. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all, say all, all, all unrighteousness. There's nothing he can't forgive. If you've come in here today and you've been carrying a lot of guilt and shame, today is the day. Let me tell you whose language guilt and shame is, the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. The Holy Spirit says, son, daughter, you're better than this and we, you can overcome. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. The devil says, you suck, God's disappointed in you. Okay, point number two. Nothing, nothing should keep us. I just feel the labor on this. There's somebody in here. Nothing is unforgivable in Jesus' sight. And to think otherwise is to belittle what Jesus did. He just wants you to bring it to him. Anytime you confess to him, you're forgiven. Now, if you're still hurting, you may need to talk to a person to get some healing and go deep down and get the inner healing you need because God made it that we depend on each other. That's why you should be in a connect group. All right, anyways, number two. Second thing, this is Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Only Jesus can get us into heaven. Only Jesus can get us into heaven. You say, we can't earn heaven. We can't. And I would encourage you, if that, if that seems weird to you or whatever, read Romans, read Ephesians. Basically, you'd have to cut out most of, from very early on in Matthew to about mid-Revelations to not find this true in the Bible, <laughs> okay? But let me give you a few scriptures to back it up. You cannot earn heaven. Ephesians 2, eight through nine, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Bible says that when we get to heaven, we're gonna receive a crown, and this image has always rattled me because in the crown will be the things that we did in purity of heart, right? Pure motives. I just did this for you, Jesus. And God, Jesus does, does reward, but heaven is not, this is not, an, this is not a, an eternity thing. This is not a Jesus loving you thing. It's just he, he, t he keeps actions, but he says that when we get the crown, we're gonna look at it. And this is a little bit of my interpretation, but I'll bet you it's like this. When we get to heaven, if I'm right, come tell me, okay? <laughs> We're gonna look at that thing and go, what the heck? Jesus, that was you. Well, you, you did that in me, and you healed me of that, and all these things were, you did this. And the Bible says that we will throw our crowns at his feet. We're not gonna get there and be like, did it. Nailed it. No. We're going to get there and go, woo, what a ride. That was awesome. Jesus, thank you. Would not have made that happen without you. <laughs> that one was you, buddy. Okay, I think we all get Jesus is my homeboy shirts right when we get there. We're not going to boast, though. We're going to be thankful we're gonna be so glad that we did things for Jesus. We told people about Jesus. We lived this life. Don't get me wrong. It's not just this somber, we'll get there. Oh, I made it barely. No, 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 no. 
You do it right, you understand who Jesus is. You're gonna have epic exploits. We're gonna do amazing things. We're gonna have an epic life. We're gonna kick the devil in the teeth and laugh, okay? We're gonna do it. We're gonna have a lot of fun. It's gonna be epic. I'm not saying you won't do epic things here. You'll just know, foundationally, this was Jesus, man. This was Jesus being reflected through me. It'll keep you humble. Be like, how do you stay humble? It's really easy. It's really easy. I've had a little bit of time doing things on my own. I know what that usually produces. So it's really easy. Anyways, okay, another verse about not earning heaven. But if, uh, this is Romans eleven six. But if it, but it is by grace, God, God's unmerited favor. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. It would not be a gift, but a reward for works. Paul, made, I told you this earlier, Paul made such a strong case in Romans that in Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? He literally guesses that that would be their logical conclusion because he's talking about how powerful God's grace is and how good it is that it covers our iniquities and our problems. And then he just says this, certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? That's what I'm talking about. There's a difference between trying to be a good person and being a dead person. See, see when you've died to trying to strive and, and earn and prove, and you just can encounter God and feel his love and his presence and come to a Wednesday night worship session or Sunday worship and just realize he already loves you. He's already for you. You work from a place of love. Becomes easier. Becomes easier. I can do this. Point number three. The third thing Jesus said, John 19, 26, 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciples, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Point number three is only Jesus can fix the family ish. I grew up with a dad as a marriage family therapist, counselor, psychologist, whatever you call him. And, you know, unintentionally, like the, one of the hardest things for me to believe because I know how hard that is in the natural is breaking family cycles. It's such a strong thing. And the devil loves to work in this area. He loves to be like, well, look where you came from. Your dad was an alcoholic. Your mom was a drug addict. Your parents got divorced. You were, you were adopted. People in your family get sick all the time. You're probably gonna get this disease too. The devil loves to work in the family line. Here's the thing, he's not creative. So if it worked on grandpa, he's gonna try it on daddy. If it worked on daddy, he's gonna try it on son. And so, and then the devil gets on the other and he says, see, it's just, just your destiny. But God all over the Bible, that's why I love the Bible. When you really read it, he shows the humanity. Look, David was begotten from an affair, King David. His great-great-grandmother was a prostitute. Moses was adopted and killed somebody and had a stutter. Joshua, all his brothers tried to kill him. That's dysfunctional family. Some of you, thank God, it's only one of your siblings that wants to kill you. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to make light of a thing, but the point is this. They were all a mess, a dumpster fire of people. 
And yet God steps in and when God steps in, he can transform it. And the point of Jesus Christ, the point of the transaction, when with I was Barabbas, when he said, I'll take the place, he is taking the family bloodline upon himself and infusing you with a new bloodline. You come from a heavenly bloodline. You've been adopted and written into the family. So now when the devil says, you'll never be anything, look at your dad, you say, you know who my heavenly father is? Look at my, look at Jesus. Look at my savior, look at my king because his blood courses through my veins and that's who I'm gonna be. Jesus can fix the family-ish. had stories, but I do want to get through all the points for you guys. So number four, Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, 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 Just say it loud and confident. People think you know what you're doing. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? This is an interesting one. It took me a while. I was praying, asking the Holy Spirit, you know, this one almost seems like Jesus had lost faith in it. But you have to understand that God by nature is love. By nature, he loves his children. He also is just. And so when Jesus took my place on that cross, he at that moment absorbed all my sin, past, present, future. All of your sin, past, present, future. And God literally let him become sin so he could be the sacrifice to pay the price that we did not have to be held accountable. And when he did that, as all of the sin of mankind rested on one man's shoulders, God had to do this. But he did that. So Jesus took that so that we would never have the Father have to do this again. He took the betrayal, the leaving, the allowing us to reap the benefits of our dysfunction, to reap the harvest of our sin. He took that and God for the first time ever turned his back on Jesus because he became our sin. So Jesus is the only thing that can heal your doubt. If you've ever heard this voice, I don't know if God really loves me. That moment on the cross solidified that never again would God have to turn because of our, our sin. Never again. God, we can always run into, the Bible says, approach his throne. Or, or the, let me read it. Let's just read it. <laughs> come boldly. Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that he may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. God is always there to help you. He is always there when you cry out. He will never turn his back on you. Jesus made sure of that. Number five, only Jesus can satisfy you. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. You see, as human beings, we were created we were literally created to have an eternal relationship with our heavenly father. And when we have separation from that, it leaves a hole in our life that we will try to fill with whatever we can. Mine was approval. When I was in high school, you had to like me. 
and I would do almost anything to make people like me, unless you were my principal. I didn't really care if he liked me, but I wanted everyone else, I needed everyone else to like me, and sometimes that meant he didn't like me. But anyways, I don't have time, but I really wanna clean up my good name from last week with my wife. Anyways, it was a talent show. I won, but at the expense of spending a day in the office with the principal. Anyways, for me, I needed approval because I didn't feel approved. And then when I finally got the revelation, you know, and it unfolded, look, I, I got saved. I love Jesus. But he started to unpeel me like an onion and be like, hey, you're already approved. You don't need to be the class clown. You don't need to be the best on the team. You don't, you can do that but you don't need that. Only Jesus can satisfy. He said to the woman at the well, if you drink the water I have, you will never thirst again. And in fact, from that place, the water will stream out of you. Jesus can fix the thirst. And you go, why do I keep training like in my life? Why do I keep going into unhealthy relationships? Why do I, why do I, why do I? Maybe you aren't drinking from the right source. Let Jesus satisfy. 30 seconds, two points, here we go. John 19, 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. Listen, only Jesus can heal. The rumors are true. Jesus still heals, still does miracles. But you have to understand that that comes from a place of when everything got restoring us to original intention, Okay, he died for our sins, but he took the whip and the thorns to restore. It says that when sin came in the world, death entered the world. Disease started to enter the world, all that. And when, he, when it says that by his stripes, we are now healed. So now we have access to a power that he has made available to return us from the curse of death into life. And so we believe and we pray for miracles. You say, well, what if somebody doesn't get a miracle? What if they do? I think one of the biggest failures slash things that shouldn't have been done in church is we are so worried about managing people's expectations that we're willing to water down our theology. Look, when my son was on life support and I needed a miracle, there was nothing you could have done to make it better had that gone the other way. Nothing. Don't manage my expectations. Come in the room with faith, get in agreement that this will not be the end of him. The church needs to not be afraid. I get it, I get it, I get the temptation, but look, we, we, we're too worried about the, the negative that we don't even shoot for the positive. God is good enough. If we walked through a place and something doesn't happen that we were believing happened, his grace is sufficient then. But in the moment, your friends, when they ask you for prayer, are not looking for sympathy. Maybe sometimes they are, but really in deep down side, if they knew what they needed, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for faith. Last one. Luke 23, 46, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What's the significance of that? Well, where was he going? 1 John 2, 1 says this, my little children, these things I write you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
Only Jesus can be your advocate. You need to understand that Jesus is not up in heaven, you know, every once in a while peeking. Oh, didn't go to church today. No, no, no. You're not an acquaintance to him. He's your advocate. So he's looking up in heaven. Michael, Gabriel, other angels that aren't cool enough to remember your name, come here. Look at it. Look at Ruth Bogle. Watch, watch, watch what she's doing. She got the kids ready this morning. She's only two minutes late to church. That's amazing. <laughs> Which if you're a parent with little kids, that is, by the way. <laughs> and she's always on time. He's your advocate. He's looking down when you make a move. Oh my gosh, he, they're lifting their hands. They're lifting their hands in worship. Come on, come on, let's go. Let's go, I wanna encounter them. I wanna encounter them. I love them. I paid everything for them. That is the difference between just an acquaintance and an advocate. Advocates championing you. Jesus isn't trying to control you. He's trying to fix you and love you so that life is good with some persecution. That's what the Bible says. You'll be extremely blessed with some persecution. That's all right. Kick the devil in the teeth, wake up tomorrow, do it again. It's so important. Can you stand to your feet? Jesus said seven things, all priorities to him, all with excruciating pain, but in the transaction, this is our Jesus. And I love preaching about Jesus, and yet this message was so hard because I'm like, God, there's not enough time in the world to talk about how good you are, Jesus. But my prayer today for our church is that you would have a fresh encounter with Jesus. Would you close your eyes? I want you to picture Jesus right now standing in front of you. Just do this. Close your eyes. Picture him standing in front of you. What do you see? Because if you see disappointment, if you see shame, Sometimes we think we're looking through a window, but we're looking in a mirror and we think Jesus is us. And we're becoming like Jesus, but he's the source of pure love. And yeah, you might be coming to him today and you're like, ooh, I've really kind of took my life in my own hands and I've jacked some things up. But I'll tell you, when you step up to Jesus, He's not coming here to condemn. It says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. So he looks at you and he says, son, daughter, I love you and I can fix this. But you've got to accept the transaction. So today with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, I'm just gonna, two people in the room, first group, you've never asked Jesus into your heart. You've never asked him to be Lord of your life. You've never asked accepted the transaction. Look, I can give you an ATM card, but if you don't believe that there's money in the account and you don't use it, you're not accepting. And so God says, cash the check. Here's the receipt, cash the check. But you've never done that. You've never actually asked Jesus into your heart and made him Lord of your life. Or perhaps 
You're like, I feel like I kind of did that, but man, I don't, I don't know. You need to know. He's not doubting you. He just wants you to accept the transaction. And the Bible says that that is the birthing place of a born again. You will literally begin to change from the inside out. You will work from a place of love, not for love. And so if you're one of those two people, you need to come back to Jesus or you've never asked Jesus in your heart. Look, you're in a safe room. Everyone in this room has done this or is possibly thinking about doing it, but most of us have done this. And so I just wanna give you an opportunity. I wanna pray with you and I wanna give you that opportunity. So if that's you, you need to ask Jesus into your heart or you need to come back to Jesus with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed. Would you raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? I'm gonna just count to three. One, two, three. Who's that, who's that that needs to be included in that prayer? Hold it high enough so that I can see it. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hands. Thank you. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it down. I'm just gonna wait for a minute because I feel like the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants to encounter you. But he's a gentleman. He's going to let you accept the transaction. So is there anybody else? I'm just waiting for you. No, no embarrassment here. of you who raised your hand right over here is the legend Ted and one of our team probably saw you raise your hand they're the only people peeking uh, they just want to find you pray with you give you a Bible uh, but we're gonna all pray this together now listen if you raised your hand and you pray I want you to repeat after me out loud and we're all gonna do it okay and, and I want you to know that at this moment, it's the transaction. It's accepting the transaction. It's saying, okay, I get Jesus and Jesus takes all that stuff and new life will come into you and begin to, begin to fill you. And that's why I want you to come talk to Ted and the team. We wanna give you a book called Following Jesus and a Bible because you're on your way to an epic journey and it just helps you grow and it helps you learn. So let's all pray this out loud together, church. Dear Jesus. We could do better. Dear Jesus, today, I thank you. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me for my sins. I give my life to you. I ask for resurrection power to fill my heart, and I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.